On February 5th, 2016, a group of eight church teens in Calgary, Alberta met up after a church youth group event to create a memory together. The plan was to go sledding, or more specifically, sneak over a six-foot-high fence, take plastic toboggans down the bobsled track at Canada Olympic Park. Three of the young men had already been successful in a sneak trial run uh, there just one week prior. So the second run with a group of friends seemed like a simple next natural step. Unfortunately, what transpired was a night that would change their lives forever. As they boarded their sleds, the teens were unaware that a portion of the track they'd gone down before had been blocked with a cement barrier and a chain over the past week by track officials preparing for an upcoming luge race. As the 18 boys on three, uh, on three sleds hurtled down the track, there was no turning back. It was a high-spirited stunt after a church youth meeting that only moments later ended in tragedy. Two boys lost their lives. The rest must deal with medical or mental issues uh, that they may wrestle with for a lifetime. In a follow-up in inquiry, a judge noted, the young, man, the young men involved in this incident were a thrill-seeking youth whose ill-conceived risk-taking result, resulted in unspeakable tragedy. Eight boys made a decision that seemed wise at the time. Breaking a rule, yes. Uh, but they'd already broken a rule the week before without consequence. Now, thankfully, this isn't a sermon about breaking rules. Uh, perhaps I would compete with Paul for being the greatest sinner. But you might think of a time when you did something foolish that didn't break any rules at all. With due respect to rules, every choice we make every day has results. Each thing we do has cause and effect. You tip over a glass on the table and the contents spill everywhere. You and I may tip over glasses till Jesus returns and the ones we don't, our children will. But beyond accidents, we make decisions daily that have impact on not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. Is there collective wisdom that we can find that helps us to make better decisions and to not do that alone? Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 say, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Commentator uh, Bruce K. Waltke in his Proverbs commentary notes, the safety and destiny of a road are not always as they appear. As he references Matthew 7, 13, and 14, which says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose the way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Throughout the New Testament, Paul shares many times about roads traveled, races run. You may have sung along with Canadian songwriter Tom Cochran, whose anthem proclaims, life is a highway. Proverbs is a book that is meant to instill wisdom in God's people, a wisdom that is founded in the fear of the Lord, and that works out covenant life in the practical details of everyday situations and relationships. How do we do life best on this journey? 
Last week, Tim talked about justice, and in recent weeks prior to that, Brad and Jordan have talked about faithful friendship and being a righteous son or daughter. This week, we look at the topic of the blessing of discipline and rebuke. And going through all the verses that Tim generously pulled together in this area, I noticed three key areas, three key ways that Proverbs seems to approach discipline and rebuke. The first is related to those words, but is perhaps like the friendly relative to discipline and rebuke, and that is instruction. We can handle instruction, right? A little good advice from time to time from our favorite podcast or Sunday morning preacher or favorite Bible college instructor, or maybe if we're having a good day, our mom or our dad. So the first is instruction. The second way we'll look at is maybe the most intimidating of these words to consider, and that's rebuke. And then we'll finish with talking about discipline, which in some ways could seem like instruction and rebuke mixed together in one nice ball of correction. Can it be true that there's blessing in instruction? Can it be true that there's blessing in discipline? And can it actually be true that there's blessing in rebuke? Yes. The blessing of instruction, of discipline, and of rebuke uh, is that they spring from and they lead to life found in Christ. We'll dive into Proverbs with a warning. Chapter 18.1 tells us, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. God did not create us to do life alone. Christ came to dwell among us. He sent the Holy Spirit. And in 2022, we're also left with the full canon of his written word. As a congregation, over this past year, we've gone through things like 2 Timothy. And in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we read that his word, scripture, is profitable for instruction that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Psalm 119 reminds us to instruct our heart with God's word to keep us from sin. It says we can live purely by living according to his word. So then it makes sense when Proverbs 18.1 concludes that we are seeking the desires of our own hearts and not God's when we isolate ourselves from his word. But along with the instruction of God's word, there's a pattern in Proverbs that speaks to learning the wisdom of God alongside the company of others. And maybe more specifically, under the instruction of others or considering the advice of others. Consider these Proverbs that hit on the reality of instruction from others. 10.17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. 11.14, there is safety with lots of counselors. 12.15, a wise man listens to advice from others instead of only doing what is right in his own eyes. 13.10, with those who take advice is wisdom. 15.22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. 18.15 tells us, and I paraphrase, that we are intelligent if we acquire knowledge by listening to others. How tragically quick we are to rebuff the instruction of others because we've come to believe our personal relationship with Jesus is our business only, between us and him. Oppositely, we should be setting aside our cultural individualism 
for the truth of God's word. These verses all give clear direction. Instruction from other believers leads us to life. It brings safety. And we are wise to listen to advice. Our plans succeed the most when we've had the most advice. We are to listen to others. If you look around the congregation and say that to each other, we are to listen to others. We have some children here under 18 who live with parents, maybe a couple that are over 18 that live with parents. Um, Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction. How tragic that so many of us in our young adult years, myself included, wrestled with seeing our parents as the foolish ones instead of ourselves. But parents, even as we prayerfully continue to aim for our best in raising our children well, let us also seek out and embrace the influence of other godly men and women in our children's lives. I'm so thankful to have someone like Julie Fair mentoring our daughter, Lana. It's such a blessing to have my children in Sunday school, going to young adults, to know that if my children, or maybe when my children, have moments of wrestling with me as a father, that the most important thing I'm entrusted with to train them in the way they should go is also being done by other godly men and women who care about them as the body of Christ should. It doesn't absolve me of my parental responsibility, but it sure is an important part of how God means for us to impact each other. In my teen years, when I didn't like my parents, and particularly my dad, it was really the reality of having others in my church investing into me and directing me also to Christ that helped ensure I would not foolishly leave the faith because of a sinful heart toward my father or mother. Let's be intentional with each other's children. And yet, we are not called to stop instruction, discipline, and rebuke just because someone has turned 18. Proverbs 23.12 says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. How often do words of knowledge come across as rebuke? If you look at Strong's a lexicon, the most typical Hebrew word used for rebuke is, and I might not say this right, I'm not a Hebrew um, scholar, itimao. Uh, now that word means to tax upon, to censor or admonish, to make a charge. Have you ever felt taxed upon by the correcting words of a Christian brother or sister, parent? Another word similar to rebuke in Proverbs is reproof. And the Hebrew word for that means correction, punishment, chastisement, or rebuke. I know we often ask for more encouragement in our lives, from friends, in a small group, from the pulpit. But do we ask for rebuke? I suggest we don't because it seems pretty uncomfortable. And, and please note, by definition, rebuke is different the anger or just tearing a strip off someone in frustration. Now, there's an end goal in mind of change and correction. So I tore my ACL a few years ago, and I just had surgery to repair it a week and a half ago. And I have a small list of exercises and stretches that were given me last week by the surgeon. He encouraged me to be taxed upon by the exercises. 
I do not like them. They are uncomfortable. They cause some pain. My preferred choice would be to lie in bed, wake up in 10 months, and be all back to normal. Maybe some of you could send me chocolates. But my surgeon's strong direction is that to remain comfortable over the coming weeks and beyond will result in a great stunting of my recovery. An ACL and the muscles in my knee will be underdeveloped and fall short of the potential there is for me. Proverbs 12.1 says, he who, he, he who hates reproof is stupid. Don't often get to say that word from the pulpit. Uh, and we're usually not comfortable with that word. But we are more foolish than we realize if we're going to push back against rebuke and reproof in our lives. The strongest rebukes I received uh, from my parents, and probably particularly my father, have led to some of my greatest strengths in character and life perspective. He was a faithful reprover. Some of you haven't had a lot of reproof and rebuke in your lives, and I think I've, I've had a fair amount, and it's still not something I crave, but if we don't like to be reproved, and if we don't accept it when given, we're compared to a scoffer in chapter 15, 12. And just like the two similar verses that began and finished our scripture reading together this morning, that note, death is the likely result of doing what seems right in our own strength. Proverbs 15.10 says, whoever hates reproof will die. Well, let's take a moment to think beyond just ourselves and how we accept rebuke or grow from it, and let's consider how this fits into the area of leadership. One simple definition that I like is, is that leadership is simply influencing others. So everyone here this morning can put on your leadership hat because you all have the ability to influence others. Matthew 5 tells us we as his followers are to be salt on the earth, bringing flavor and to let our light shine before others, influence. How much should we consider the value and blessing of reproof in our, on, on our ability to lead and influence when Proverbs 10:17 says, he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Maybe you've seen Christian leaders as just being your pastor or your board of elders or some other person you esteem as a spiritual leader, yet we're all called to be growing as leaders. We can move from verses talking of stupidity or foolishness and find that there is honor and wisdom in, re in receiving rebuke. Proverbs 13.18 um, uses that language. And 15.5 says, whoever heeds reproof is perfect. Rebuke shapes and molds us toward perfection. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise, says Proverbs 15.31. And 32 goes on to say, he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. You might hear that verse 31 and respond, well, certainly it would be nice to receive life-giving reproof and not the chafing, uncomfortable, and unpleasant reproof that I always seem to get. Well, maybe it's time to reconsider what we see as life-giving. Sometimes we confuse life-giving with feeling good. I'll use this illustration. You're sitting in a car in the front passenger seat enjoying your deep-fried matzo sticks from A&W while you and your best friend enjoy a Saturday afternoon drive to Prince Albert. 
Mmm, life-giving matzo sticks. Then at the same time, your seatbelt keeps on locking and digging into your chest and it's in the way and it's annoying and you've almost reached the point of taking it off. Suddenly, your friend jerks the steering wheel, narrowly avoiding the deer who just darted across the road, but in the flash of an eye, the front right tire catches the shoulder and in a millisecond, the gravel and grass grab the car, twists and instantly is flipped into violently rolling multiple times from 100 kilometers an hour to a standstill. In the hazy moments after you come to your senses, you realize you and your friend are still alive, all around you, broken glass, dust, and your matzo sticks are no more. Your annoying seatbelt just gave you life, another day to live, and another opportunity to shorten the life of your heart with more matzo sticks. So first point again, seatbelts are life-giving but often annoying. Matzo sticks are incredibly enjoyable but not really life-giving. Second point, invite rebuke into your life. It is impossible to avoid and perhaps uh, even, uh, it's impossible to avoid unwelcome and perhaps even unhelpful uh, rebuke in your life. And so we need to work graciously at thanking people for their words and in prayer and going to God and to a, maybe a group of trusted friends as you consider those words, not to slander the person to your friends, but to honestly ask, is there something in this reproof I should consider? Well, why just wait around for the rebuke that we all know will come but may not be helpful and instead regularly seek out rebuke from people you do trust and love? Loving people should be able to speak hard truths into each other's lives. As we shake at the prospect of going to someone with rebuke, three verses near the end of Proverbs coach us toward the value of doing so. 27.5 says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. We shall care and love in honest rebuke. I'm not loving my kids if I never rebuke them. In fact, referring specifically to children, Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We can watch kids who show a pattern of disobedience, throwing tantrums, showing willful disrespect to their parents, and often correctly assume that child has been under-rebuked and disciplined. Well, in the same way, I'm suggesting many of those in the church displaying a regular pattern of unbiblical behavior have been under-rebuked. It's time for us to stop being politely Canadian and to start being politely biblical. Chapter 28:23 says, "Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue." The point of corporate church discipline is to bring restoration and to show the serious of an issue with stern me measures, with the hope that the attention to sin will be noticed and there will be repentance. I've been thanked a couple of times for speaking something difficult into someone's life. Uh, it's humbled me that God could use me that way and stirred my heart in my own walk with God. 
Similarly, the few people at key times who have graciously but directly spoken to or rebuked me with an issue they saw have contributed to an important refining. And sometimes I've reacted better than at other times, but all those moments have been crucial in my growth. And really how you and I receive rebuke can be a measuring stick for us in our journey of spiritual maturity. Proverbs 17.10 says, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Proverbs 19.25 tells us reproof is knowledge giving. Can we read chapter 25 verse 12 and agree that the value of rebuke to us is equal to that of a gold ring or ornament? Let's go back again to 2 Timothy and be reminded of Scripture's greatest strengths. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I want us to know what is not in that verse. There is a place for encouragement and for positive words in our lives, uh, but those aren't noted in that verse. Encouragement is clearly a part of the Bible and how we walk with each other, and we could list verses that make that very clear. But let's not only look for the positive while forgetting the value of what we unfairly refer to as negative. And let's not cast negative light on rebuke and discipline. Uh, discipline is the last word to touch on before closing. We often equate discipline to raising children. Uh, there may not be a more clear way for us to understand the foolishness that is in the heart of man than to look at a child. There are so many times my children would have ended sick to their stomachs, wounded, lost, or dead, had Lindsay or I not stopped in with instruction, rebuke, or discipline. Isn't it so much harder once we become adults to feel, uh, to not feel like we've arrived? That somehow the day we turned 18, all wisdom of humanity fell out of the sky into our minds. I found myself in awe uh, um, over the past few years uh, that the gap um, of wisdom between my 8-year-old and a 44-year-old is as big as it is, or even the gap between my 13-year-old and I. But how much greater is the gap of foolishness between the wisest man or woman alive and the Creator, Almighty, Eternal God? 1 Corinthians 3.19 reminds us that the wisdom of this world is folly to God. Proverbs 1 tells, uh, uh, begins uh, telling us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of any knowledge that leads to wisdom. And so, as foolish children before an eternal God, we are to recognize and accept the discipline the Lord gives us as a part of living life on earth. At every challenging part of the years we are given are a beautiful, refining process where God is working out all things for the good of those who love him. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Without discipline, we are not loved. Proverbs 15.10 issues a warning. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Uh, I have told my children before, you can choose to disobey or to continue to behave in that way, but I will make your life miserable all the while you do. Because I want them to taste the reality of consequences in our lives when we choose disobedience. 
And I assure them that though, dis uh, that though discipline can feel hard at home in the stage of being kids, that the hard discipline of a spanking, the loss of riding a bike, reading books, or losing some other privilege is small peanuts when compared to the consequences of sin that only get deeper, more destructive, and devastating the older we get and the more rooted the sin. Indeed, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him, says Proverbs 22.15. In 29.15, says the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Bible college students uh, sign a student life covenant when they arrive at NBC. They read a handbook before they even get to campus. And then some of, uh, sorry, they, they know all the rules and guidelines and expectations before they come. And then they come and they still break them sometimes. And then there's discipline. Do we ever get angry when we are being disciplined? Something that uh, I have never figured out is why some people get angry when they get a speeding ticket. You're breaking the law. You broke the law. In my 20s, I was a chronic speeder, and that started to become a problem for me, getting tickets. But I was always super polite. I thought for all the times I didn't get caught, I could at least be gracious and kind the times I did. Thankfully, an excess of tickets brought me to a place where I had to change my behavior or face losing my license. By God's grace, I was able to change uh, considerably. Proverbs 12.1 tells us that whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. I believe I've tasted the truth of this verse multiple times when we've disciplined our children, one of our children, uh, individually, I mean. Often it happens after spanking, but it's happened after other forms of discipline as well, especially as the children have gotten older. They do something wrong, you catch them in their sin, and you have a conversation involving rebuke and instruction. You then issue them whatever form of discipline you feel fits the crime. They receive an immediate consequence, but they see your care and love both during and after the consequence. And often, immediately after, I've seen tears of remorse and repentance. The child saying a heartfelt, I'm sorry and hugs, and then, I love you. That is a picture of the knowledge that comes with discipline. It's not that they necessarily love the sting in the moment, but they're showing they love the discipline by their response to the sting. A response of repentance to discipline showing a genuine understanding of the process by which you've been led to restoration and a knowledge for why and how you've been restored. We really make discipline in our home an opportunity to talk about the gospel, the perfect God, our sin, and the consequence of sin in our lives, and the forgiveness that is offered to us through the actions of Jesus Christ, who paid himself, uh, who himself paid a consequence for sin, the ultimate sacrifice of his life. And for our kids, sharing that as we continue to grow and remembering he is Lord and King in our lives by the truth we see in his word, we are more and more transformed and shaped to love him 
which leads to more consistently living like him and for him, which also in my children's case leads to less painful discipline. Proverbs 20.30 says, Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. On first glance, we might assume this speaks toward spanking a child. It's easy to infer that, but I think it can be thought of more broadly than that. The point of physical discipline is to apply discomfort to someone. In that sense, there are other forms of discipline that could have the same effect. They can be blows that wound. Discipline needs to hurt. It needs to show us the pain and consequence of sin and foolishness. Chapter 29, verse 19 affirms this as well. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. I was looking at the notes in my study Bible uh, that say this verse advises maintaining discipline with all those under authority, not through mere words, but also through negative and positive incentive of various kinds. But who is under authority? I'd like to remind us that we've spent many Sundays together over this past year being reminded of the authority of the King of Kings over our lives. We've also spent time in books like Timothy and Titus being reminded of the authority of our church leaders in our lives. And in this message, we're faced with the reality that God gives us all authority to instruct, rebuke, and discipline each other with the truth of his word. It takes humility and a soft heart to change from being quick to tell people to stop judging you and instead yearning for God to bless you through the instruction, discipline, and rebuke of his word and inviting that from other believers as they also speak the truth of his word into your life. To move toward our conclusion. We think of Solomon as the wisest man ever. Indeed, the writings of Proverbs and other Old Testament books by him show us he was at another level with wisdom that God had granted him. And yet, we know that while he started strong, he did not finish well. What hope do we have to finish well? Perhaps Proverbs chapter 3 can lead us in the right direction. Verses 5 and 6 are two of my favorite. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. If we back up to verse 4... We read, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. The gospel writer Luke ties Proverbs 3.4 into his writing about Jesus. In Luke 2.52, we're told that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. How could Jesus, Son of God, God himself, need to grow in wisdom? Well, may we never under state Jesus' divinity. He was God, fully God, but may we also not understate rather his humanity. Jesus experienced intellectual and physical growth in the same ways as any child would. Even though he was the Word, God in the flesh, as one being fully human, he grew up memorizing and immersing himself in the written Word. The scripture that would have been available at the time, the Septuagint, which is very similar to our modern Old Testament. He grew up memorizing large portions of it. 
Throughout Jesus' life, he regularly quotes from Psalms, Deuteronomy, and all the rest of the Pentateuch, and Isaiah, and all over the Old Testament. The Proverbs are given to us that we may grow in the wisdom of God's incarnate word, Jesus Christ, the one who perfectly embodied all of this and showed us the wisdom of God. The priests were awed by him at the age of 12. As an adult, the Pharisees had no way to stump him. Solomon was King David's son, and to that point in history, far and away, the wisest man who'd ever lived. God blessed him with wisdom, and it's evident by God's choosing of Solomon to build the temple, and by the sheer mass of Solomon's physical kingdom, and the peace in his lifetime in Israel, that God blessed Israel because of Solomon and his wisdom. And yet the wisest man in the world fell prey to apostasy. He fell away. He turned away because of a love for women that fell outside of God's wisdom and instruction for his people. And his obedience, rather his disobedience led to his fall and started the downhill fall of the kingdom of Israel into two and the eventual, eventual decimation of the northern kingdom and the exile of the south. If our hope was in something we could accomplish by following perfectly all the wise Proverbs of Solomon, we'd be toast. If our hope was in Solomon, we'd be hopeless. But our hope lies in Jesus, David's greater son. He's the one who fulfills what Solomon couldn't. Solomon's kingdom passed away, but Jesus' kingdom will never pass away. Through the instruction and rebuke and discipline of Proverbs, God's word, and of other brothers and sisters in Christ, we find richer life in God's kingdom. Uh, Philippians 2, 3-8 say, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Being sinless, Jesus did not need the instruction, discipline, and rebuke of his disciples. Yet he set the structure for the local church, the body of Christ that is taught throughout the New Testament. Proverbs 3.12 says the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Hebrews 12.6 repeats that. Part of God's disciplining us that I trust you're catching in these Proverbs is that we are also to receive as a blessing the instruction rebuke and discipline of the Lord through his people who are walking this journey with us. Some closing proverbial warnings from Jesus. From Proverbs 13, 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. From 13, 18. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. In chapter 29, 1 says, when we resist discipline and rebuke, we will end up being broken beyond healing. And verse 20, later in that chapter, says, we have little hope outside of discipline and rebuke. If you remember my first tragic illustration, I remind us again, the safety and destiny of a road are not always as they appear. 
There's so much at stake to lose if we miss out on the blessing of instruction, discipline, and rebuke, and so much to gain as we seek it. If we waited to discipline our children until we were perfect, our children would never be disciplined. While there is a place to consider the logs in our eyes before we speak, discipline, rebuke, or instruction into someone's life, may we uh, bite our tongues when someone is taking time to show us the love of Christ by speaking into ours. Let's welcome discipline and rebuke. Let's seek it out like buried treasure. Let's have compassion when people attempt it and might even miss the mark. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. May God implant in us a desire to live by the knowledge and wisdom found in Proverbs and the entire scriptures. Uh, Tim and, and the team is going to come and let's sing this last song together as one congregation, mindful of our own propensities to fall away like Solomon, but on a daily basis. May we desire for God to reign in us individually, individually and corporately, and may we remember the hope of a Savior who embodies all the wisdom of Proverbs. May we embrace the blessing of instruction discipline and rebuke by his word and by the love of Christian brothers and sisters.